Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Daily Energy Markets podcast. And uh, we have Brent crude oil trading a little bit uh, down this morning, uh, but essentially unchanged, it would appear, uh, with um, Brent trading uh, at uh, around $90 a barrel uh, and looking a little bit stuck around there uh, since it sort of popped above 93 uh, at the end of last week. So it's uh, somewhat stuck in, in a downward trend. Let's go to Ole Hansen, Head of Commodity Strategy at Saxo Bank, to kick us off this morning. Ole, where do you think this market is going? It sort of lost its steam from the geopolitical stress and back to fundamentals, which are a little bit sober. Your thoughts? Good morning, Sean. Uh, well, the, the, I think the uh, the price action this past uh, couple of weeks uh, speaks uh, very loudly. The market simply don't know. Uh, we are trying on a regular basis uh, to price in some kind of a war premium. Um, so far, it looks like that has been maxed out at around $5. And as soon as we see any news that, uh, that contradict that, we, uh, we see that this premium being reduced uh, once again. It just simply shows the market is trying to trying to price in what a disruption would mean in terms of prices. And it also just highlights how difficult it is to trade something that has yet to occur. Um, because the market uh, right now seems to be be settling down somewhat. Uh, demand is softening into the winter months, um, and that's that's keeping a lid on on the on the prices. So um, we're sticking uh, we're sticking with our our outlook for this quarter that uh, Brent is likely to find the, itself in a, in an eighty five to ninety five range. I think the only thing that we know for sure right now is that there is a flaw in the market. OPEC has uh, fought very hard to uh, to defend prices. And that basically means uh, down towards that 80 uh, level in Brent, I'm sure we will find some additional support. So that's I think I think that's the only thing we know for certain right now. How high it can go really depends on, on developments going uh, moving on from here. It's getting a little bit of a long answer, but I think that all the worries about disruption in the Middle East, I simply don't see that happening. U.S. is not anymore the big customer of the Middle East. That is China. Russia is sending a lot of uh, oil to the to the region for refining. There. So it's not in Russia's and China's best interest to see any disruption. So they'll work. Uh, they'll work tooth and nail to uh, to avoid that. So I think. So I think that we we'll, we we don't we won't see the disruption that the market is so worried about. Vanda Harry, founder and CEO of Vanda Insights at, uh, from Singapore. Vanda, I see on your uh, daily note today. Vanda Insights a crude ticks up early due to bargain hunting after slide. There's a bargain out there. Tell us about this bargain you've identified. Good morning, Sean. And uh, to all our Indian viewers, I'd like to wish a happy Dasera. It's a festival that celebrates the victory of good over evil. And God knows we need that <laughs> in today's world. In, in large quantities, please. Yeah. Um, it, it were, okay. Uh, the 3% overnight drop that we saw in Brent and WTI uh, might have seemed a bargain uh, opportunity uh, for people who think that uh, the Israel-Hamas situation is uh, is still smoldering away and uh, could potentially erupt into into something bigger. So I completely agree with with Ulad that uh, you know it's it's hard for market to to decide what exactly it is pricing in. I would say the oil market is flying blind. Uh, between, let's say, uh, zero being no uh, oil and gas supply from the region, production or supply being affected, which is this, the situation now, let us remind ourselves, to let's say 100%, which is 
give or take 23 million barrels per day of production in that region getting entirely shut in, the worst case scenario, which is almost hard to comprehend. Where in that spectrum do you land your base case scenario? It's just impossible uh, to ascertain that. And, um, you know, as again, as, as Ula said, we don't know how the situation, it, it's in a great flux, the situation, we don't know how it's going to evolve. But I think uh, there's multiple layers of additional challenges for the oil market, because for any given scenario of how the conflict evolves, you have to then try and connect so many dots to how exactly, uh, if at all, it would impact oil and gas supply from the region. So in such a situation, you know, you have little choice if you are a participant in the a stakeholder in the oil market to to stay a bit on the long side uh i would uh probably assess uh, the current war premium around five dollars um it has come back uh, come down a bit from last week's 93 uh 92 93 dollars um brand prices that we saw but uh, you know i don't see it disappearing as long as this uh, situation is is simmering uh, and the market will just remain poised to jump in to buy again at any time, you know, the slightest hint of uh, the hostilities uh, becoming worse or, or widening into the region. Let's welcome Ahmed Mehdi, Managing Director, Renaissance Energy Advisors and Visiting Fellow at the Oxford Institute for Energy Studies. Ahmed, if we had a Venn diagram with Saudi Arabia in one circle, OPEC plus in the other circle, and the crisis in Palestine in the other circle, the three of them there. What's in the nexus for you? Uh, good morning, Sean. Uh, so I think that um, I wouldn't put that the, those categories in that Venn diagram, really. I think okay. that uh, Saudi oil policy is uh, disconnected to to a certain extent from uh, from from, or rather, the driver of Saudi oil policy is not necessarily the ongoing uh, geopolitical crisis in, in, in the Middle East. I think in terms of where the potential um, disruption is, is around um, US potentially tightening um, compliance around uh, Iranian exports, but I think that's unlikely. Um, you know, we've seen a, we've seen a little bit of reshuffling of the the sort of the chess pieces on the board with the Venezuela move. But again, uh, I think the consensus there is that while it may um, relieve a bit of pressure on the sour side of the market, it's not going to uh, compensate for um, any any attempted move against uh, uh, sh shutting down Iranian exports. Which which actually, you know, uh, the the data showing that you know Iran is going to account for this as a second largest source of supply growth this year. So we're talking about um, an additional, you know, 600, 700,000 barrels a day of of exports um, year on year from from Iran. But I think that in a way, the uh, those volumes are more um, de determined by um, Chinese demand rather than any geopolitical uh, uh, situation with regards to the uh, U.S. Well, if you look at Chinese demand, if you look at 
Chinese demand, obviously, uh, and, and the point that Ole mentioned earlier, uh, the that uh, the West and, and Europe and America are not really connected with the physical oil <laughs> supplies out of the region. Of course, there's been some change with some new flows and products going from here into Europe and, and, and some LNG. But with most of the, the crude and products moving east, um, uh, uh, where is China's appetite to resolve this crisis? We have had them join the chorus of Israel has its right to defend itself, which is essentially uh, kind of appears as the consensus statement by the world powers of I don't want to get involved. Uh, your thoughts on what China's appetite might be, given that any disruption would certainly be uh, knocking on their door? Yeah, I mean, I think I think earlier in the year when there was an announcement around uh, uh, China acting as a broker between between Saudi and Iran. I think a lot of people actually, were, you know, correctly identified that as um, an attempt to try and uh, uh, position themselves in in a region where there were, you know, where where the the story for the last several years has been one of um, uncertainty around the role of the U.S. There's more competition between these um, uh, mid-sized regional powers. Um, and I don't think, in, in a way, uh, that there was ever any um, sort of uh, replacement of, of China um, taking over the role that the U.S. Has, has taken over in the region. However, I think that my point earlier about you know uh, Saudi oil policy and 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 how that relates to um, the next steps is that it's it's as Ole said, you know, we're moving into a softer balance in in the first quarter. We will soon soon uh, the market will be trading January barrels, you know. So I think that in a way the Saudis will. Um, look to be quite cautious around any uh, unwinding, and 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 even with China, I mean, you know, I think the theme of the market since the Russia crisis has been, at no other time has there been uh, such a great menu of um, foods for them, in, including the grey barrels in the market. So um, the way that the Iranian oil trades in China, Venezuelan oil trades in China, is very different. So the government, at the end of the day, the Chinese government is always going to be. The balancer in chief. Um, so I think that that's an important, you know, consideration. That you know, in terms of direction of the market, it it's really about the way the Chinese government, uh, Chinese government policy evolves. Ole, the uh, trying to read where the risk on, risk off appetite is at the moment. Uh, we saw the dollar having a pretty robust uh, last month or more, and 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 typically kind of risk off uh, the, the flight to safety, perhaps. Um, but the oil markets are looking a little bit no drama, Obama, uh, and the the equity markets are sort of looking for direction. But the one that seemed to take some uh, sort of upward momentum is the Bitcoin topping thirty five thousand dollars yesterday for the first time in uh, over a year, eighteen months or so. I'm wondering, is that a risk on or a risk off flight to safety for you? How do you interpret? the movement of Bitcoin when all the other markets seem to be rather flat pancake? 
Oh, you're probably asking the wrong person, uh, Sean. Uh, I'm not. I'm watching it that closely. Obviously, I'm watching the regulatory uh, uh, debates that's happening in the U.S. And uh, part of that is is uh, right now favoring uh, Bitcoin as an investment, as the as the possibility of in trading it as an ETF uh, becomes uh, greater. So, so I think that's adding it. But but uh, there is obviously something underlying uh, going on as well. We just seen the. A near two hundred dollar rally in gold in in two weeks. Uh, that is not safe haven. All of it. I think it's mostly a lot of that, and uh, that's probably also the reason why we believe that that move is is going to continue. Is the concerns about the U.S. bond market, and I think that's probably where the Bitcoin bid is coming in as well. Bond yields have spiked high in the U.S. We're seeing some extreme volatility there right now, five percent uh, plus yesterday in ten years. Now we're at uh, four eighty three. Uh, Bill Ackman and uh, Mr. Gross have been out saying that they covered their short position that potentially helped the market uh, along a bit. But with, with yields having risen that fast in such a short period of time, there is a risk that something's going to break. There are some extreme uh, unrealized losses on, on books uh, all over the place. And uh, and that basically is, is the concern. At the same time, the U.S. Uh, Central Bank obviously needs to continue to issue a lot of uh, a lot of debt because the, the the U.S. debt situation is not under control, and uh, so I think the 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 Bitcoin rally and the gold rally is all a reflection to a certain point what happened in the Middle East. But I think safe haven bits they come and go, uh, they don't last. Uh, but what's happening right now, uh, which could become a big issue, is the uh, is the worries about the, the this rapid rise in yields around the world and what it means for for its stability in the bond market. So I think that's basically the the main driver there. Bandana, we had the Chinese government overnight announce, uh, uh, approve a one trillion won in additional sovereign debt issuance uh, uh, as Beijing sort of appears to step up efforts to spur infrastructure spending. Is this the the sort of the final, the the, the long anticipated arrival of the China bazooka stimulus? I'm not sure it is, uh, Sean. I like your word bazooka. I think you've used it in relation to Chinese stimulus uh, almost every time we've talked about it. No, the short answer is I I don't think there's going to be a a bazooka stimulus uh, from China. Um, Look, the the way I look at the Chinese economy, especially from an oil energy commodities market perspective, is that it's chugging along. Okay, it's not uh, burst out of the gate with the uh, relaxing of of COVID restrictions, and it's it's not uh, gone into a, a downward spiral either. I mean, you know, we had um, huge uh, nervousness around the bankruptcy of Country Garden, other major troubles and in, in behemoths in the in the uh, property sector in China. Um, stock markets have gone up and down. But overall, the economy is chugging along. I think that's that's the the best phrase I can find um, for the country. And uh, if you look at their commodities, especially let's talk about their oil consumption. Uh, again, it's it's a bit of mis- mixed signal. So again, on your show, Sean, I've talked quite a bit in recent months about how the macroeconomic data is showing that China is going to take a, it's going to be a very long uphill, rolling the boulder up the hill for China to get uh, momentum into its economy. That's what you know all the uh, PMI and export data and so on uh, are telling us. But there's mixed signal still. If you look at the crude. Uh, imports, for instance, right? First nine months of the year up 15% year on year. 
But a couple of things to keep in mind uh, to, to put that into perspective. So it comes off a, a small base, relatively small base of 2022. And second, China is exporting more of the crude that it is refining after importing more. China is also moving quite a bit into stockpiles. So uh, Chinese product exports have gone up 55% uh, year on year. I know that sounds like a tremendous figure, but again, from a small base. So China's uh, exporting on average 1.2 million barrels per day, a third, a third, a third of gasoline, uh, distillate and, and jet fuel. Um, it has also stockpiled uh, an average of about 700,000 barrels per day of crude. We did see them destocking in July and again in September which tells you that China remains very, very price sensitive. Uh, and I think it has played its hand pretty well by buying up more crude in the first half of the year. Uh, probably they were betting that prices would be higher in the second half or at least in the fourth quarter of, the, of this year. So, you know, just more of the same. I think very little uh, in terms of headlines out of China now excite me, which I, I would dare say is probably the... Uh, sentiment overall in the oil market. Well, it, it certainly will be interesting, Ahmed, to see where China puts its growth forecast for the new year, as they typically do in December, give that sort of target. But Ahmed, you mentioned in your earlier point that we are uh, will soon be trading January barrels. Uh, how do you expect the Saudis and OPEC Plus to navigate that going into the meeting next month? When you have this news on Venezuela, more supply coming from there, is it possible that the OPEC plus countries that are part of this supply cutting agreement will actually have to cut more? Your thoughts on the outlook going into the soft first quarter with more yeah. barrels from Venezuela, more barrels from, it seems, Libya, Nigeria? Yeah, so actually, just to, uh, briefly back to the point on China. So I think yeah. one thing that's uh, interesting is... When you look at the, um, the, the the petrochemical feedstocks and the imports around that for this year, and the um, the, the over, well the expansion of petrochemical capacity, just in terms of um, uh, effectively the new greenfield refineries, and um, you know certainly a, quite quite a substantial amount of petrochemical capacity is being built, and that's. Uh, effectively, you know, it, it, alongside the the growth outlook on the macro side, you know, we have to kind of think about what will be um, the 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 outlook for petchems in the next year or two in the short term, um, just in terms of where you see uh, low cost uh, uh, facilities being built in China, their their self sufficiency is. Um, is going to increase, and effectively, their imports of um, of, of, of petchem and the derivatives um, will, will 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 shrink. So, actually, even within Middle East and Asia, there is a bit of margin compression on the petchem side. So, that's that was the story of this year. And so, let's see what happens next year with petrochemicals um, feedstock demand in China, which I think will be an interesting. Uh, part of the equation. And I think that even if you take a lot of the consensus around 23 balances, I think that, you know, we're not talking about very much difference in what the demand growth uh, year on quarter on quarter and year on year will be. But for 24, the difference is very wide, actually. So I think that that's, uh, you know, certainly um, OPEC's own research team versus the IEA, the EIA, and other consulting firms, you know, um, there's a big difference in that. So 
that's naturally going to you know one has to kind of think about that when when assessing the the key issue which is um the, the timing of any potential unwinding of saudi's cut within the cut so the 1 million within within the opec framework and and i i, I don't see that happening in one burst but effectively i i, I think that there's more of a, a phasing of that um, and it will be quite reactive based upon where um, inventories are, but also days of demand cover, um, and 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 also you know that there is typically going to be a softening in in Q1. The November meeting will probably be there to assess the um, the inventory and also um, the situation of other countries, not just um, uh, the ones you've mentioned, but also um, uh, the African producers who had their uh, quotas revised. Um, and naturally, also the UAE will be adding more barrels to the market as part of that revision. So, so I think this is all taking place when we look at the geopolitics, the balances. You know, we have to also forget that we are in a backward-dated market because of also the about five million barrels of spare capacity as well, um, and that has to be borne in mind. And the question is really like, you know, will the curve actually flatten out into next year, driven by uh, a, a softer year-on-year -year demand outlook, but also um, you mean the uh, potential uh, to go into contango in the first quarter? Not contango, no, but a, but but a weakening of of that curve, um, a flattening of that curve, effectively as a result of. The demand side, but more importantly, also potentially uh, slow unwinding of the Saudi uh, right. cuts okay. into Nigeria. Let's go to the survey question. Again, it touches on that uh, Bitcoin question I asked earlier, just kind of get some sort of temperature as to whether we have a, uh, a risk on or risk off appetite in the markets at the moment. Bitcoin is typically a risk on signal. I mean, maybe it's maturing and is now a safe haven, but it has most of its life signaled a risk on appetite in the markets. Uh, is this uh, a shift on this occasion that it's now some sort of signal flight to safety? There's just 34 trillion US dollars printed is no longer a safe place to be. Uh, what are your thoughts? Bitcoin at 35, risk on markets, flight to safety. Ole, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on all things gas. Uh, we just saw another monster deal by Qatar. I mean, if there's anybody winning at the moment, Qatar LNG into Europe did a massive 27-year deal with Shell only a week or so ago, and now one with any in Italy. Your thoughts on that, on the deal at a time in which it would appear gas demand in, in Europe is declining? Gas demand indeed is uh, declining, uh, but we also uh, obviously need to uh, work out some long-term contracts in order to ensure that we have a, a, st a stable uh, supply in the years to come with uh, with Russian supply obviously not coming back anytime soon and perhaps not at all. So uh, so I think it's just part of that process that uh, they want to take some of the volatility out of the out of their 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 their, 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 their future uh, costs um, and they do then they're doing that by by getting these uh, very long deals uh, on board. So um, so it is, it is a reflection of, of just trying to achieve some kind of stability in both in supply and in price going forward. Uh, but you are right, we are we are seeing a, a gas market into the winter months here in Europe, which, uh, which has risen recently. Uh, there's been a few supply disruption that uh, to worry about, but uh, there's no doubt that industrial demand in Europe is is weak, down uh, probably around 15, probably more than that percent uh, compared to last year. So that does obviously take... So it's not efficiency, it's more simply demand destruction from industrial weakness. 
yeah it takes the peak out of uh, peak, peak out of demand so uh, so we we are we, we we're pricing uh, the, the the February peak contract uh, of peak demand contract months uh, when when things could start to get a little bit hairy is only trading around six seven euros above uh, spot so uh, so the market is 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 taking it fairly uh, fairly relaxed at, at this point in time but um, but looking out the window the leaves are still on the trees they haven't fallen off yet so it has been a mild uh, mild autumn and that obviously does uh, keep gas in in storage and and uh, and uh, delays the the uh, the peak demand season. Uh, Vandana, the other story that seems to you know not go away, and at the same token, not uh, not to arrive at the at the Armageddon outcome, is the Chinese property market. Uh, no bazooka on the stimulus side, as you said, and, and no collapse on the property side. A slow deflation, perhaps. The we're seeing iron ore prices fall, uh, dragged by persistent concerns about China's property sector. Is this the shoe that just will never fall, or is one day we're going to wake up and this is 2007 Lehman scenario, or is have the Chinese got this one? What's your read on this slow puncture property crisis in China? Yeah, it's quite a murky picture, isn't it? But just uh, before I get on to China, Please. Sean, if I may just add uh, to the LNG and Europe scenario to, to um, Ula's uh, comments there is that at least from an Asian perspective, uh, I can tell you that Europe signing more long-term LNG deals uh, is good news uh, for Asian consumers because this region has suffered massively last year as Europe pulled, paid top dollar to pull in a lot of uh, spot LNG from the market. And one of the challenges for this region, to countries in this region to plan ahead, you know, 10, 20 years, in terms of energy transition, how much they want to grow their dependence on, on gas. The, one of the big challenges is that if Europe will continue sucking in uh, spot LNG for all its needs, then you, know, you have a lot of volatility and potentially very high prices in, in the spot market. So uh, you know, it's, it's good news. We've seen three long-term deals now, and I think uh, Asian uh, consumers are going to be breathing a little bit easier in terms of getting a little more visibility into how this uh, is shaking up. Uh, look, in terms of China, I think what the government is trying to do is getting um, the population to just get used to a, a period of relative hardship and in as, as a, a period of transition, a period of new normal. Uh, what I understand is that uh, you were talking earlier about China's uh, GDP growth targets. Um, what I'm hearing increasingly is that the government is going to de-emphasize whether it does that officially, publicly remains to be seen, but it's de-emphasizing just growth for the sake of growth. It's going to uh, sort of step back a little bit from having GDP targets and then measuring its performance and success against those targets. Uh, I think what they're looking for is more sustainable growth. Increasingly, we see um, very candid uh, acknowledgement from the government, and, and we, we had one again from the National Bureau of Statistics earlier this week when they were announcing the Q3 GDP figure that speaking very frankly that it's a difficult time for China, a difficult period of adjustment that keeps reminding the people, their people, that the external environment remains difficult. Uh, internally, uh, getting consumption going is going to be difficult for them. So you have to keep all of this in, in picture. I think in, in 
when we're looking at China, how to think about it is that it is stepping into a completely new era, which is one uh, of you know more moderate, modest growth, no major targets, more sustainable growth, moving up there, as uh, Ahmed was just talking about China pet camps, right? It's part of the story of the country wanting to move up the value chain um, of, of products. Uh, so it's just, just a period of major upheaval. And I think the government needs to, it, it, the trickiest part for the government is managing the expectations of the people now going ahead. I think that's what they are going to be focusing on. Akbar, last word to you uh, with the survey result, uh, uh, sort of split down the middle here, uh, risk on and flight to safety, and we'll post that on social media. But Akbar, I wanted to get your insights. Obviously, you watch Iraq very closely. Another unresolved, what's the outcome? Is Kurdistan going to get to move its barrels through to Sehan anytime soon? It seems that it's, it's on, it's off, it's on. What's your read on that? Well, actually, um, uh, about a month or two ago, put out a note saying, actually, don't expect to see um, the, the return of uh, the KRG crude anytime soon, to be honest, uh, because it's also, you know, if you look at actually southern exports from Basra, actually, they're, 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 they're actually near the operational capacity. So um there's a bit of a swap out you know of the crew i mean it's complicated in terms of what the price is the difference in the prices fetched for northern crude versus southern crude but effectively you've got a bit of a swap out going on um and also there's actually some of these producers are still not agreeing even if there is a reopening on what their cost recovery uh will look like under any uh new um, system. So there's so many factors ongoing at the moment that's sort of uh, preventing, the, and it's quite a complicated picture as well on the new pricing term, the marketing terms, will the trading houses still be involved in term contracts? So it's a big mess. I think that I don't, you know, we shouldn't necessarily bake in uh, the return of these volumes um, for, for a long time yet, in, in my view. Well, we'll wrap it up there with Brent crude oil trading this morning at a, just a few pennies above $90 on Brent, which many people say is the sweet spot for consumers and producers. Nobody's too upset about that number. Everybody can swing with it. And it's kind of been sitting there uh, on and off for you know, many, many weeks now before the recent crisis in uh, in in Palestine, and and it seems that that's where it likes to sit when there's no other wind in the in the in the storm. So uh, let's see what happens through the week. As always, thank you so much. It's been great to have uh, Ole Hansen from uh, Denmark on the show this morning, uh, and of course our uh, our other speakers, uh, Vandana Harry in Singapore and Ahmed Mehdi in London. Really appreciate your insights, and look forward to catching up with you all soon again. All the best. Thank you.